I'm Philippa Tolley and welcome to RNZ's Insight Programme. This week we travel to Timor-Leste. The Timorese who grew up under independence are now coming of age. They're the first generation to graduate since Timor-Leste's occupation by Indonesia ended in 1999. New Zealand's peacekeeping troops left five years ago and this nation still spends millions helping to strengthen the still fragile country formerly known as East Timor. Sally Round travelled to Timor-Leste to see how the country is faring. It's tiny, isn't it? How many people were in here? Uh, sometimes it's like 15 people. But how long were they here for? Some, like 16 days or one month. In the leafy shade off a hot and bustling street in the capital, Dili, there's a complex of small, dark rooms which still echo horrors from the past. So if I go in here... And if I close the door... OK. So how many people... I'm, the door's closed, it's completely dark. And it's, how many people were in here? It's the same. Sometimes you pull, they pull like 15 people inside and imagine if it's... And it's hot. The cells in this former jail for political prisoners during the Indonesian occupation have been left as a memorial to those who were tortured and died in the fight against Indonesian rule. They bring Timor-Leste's traumatic history into sharp focus. The fight for freedom may have been won, but different battles continue against poverty and unemployment, and to harness the potential of a massive youth population. I'm Sally Round and I'm in Timor-Leste to find out how it's getting on 15 years after the Timorese flag was raised again following a UN-sponsored independence referendum and to see how some of New Zealand's efforts to kick development are helping. They're small, noisy and colourful the microlette is the way to get around in Dili. You just hop on, squeeze up and tune in. The little bus is full today. There's an office worker on his smartphone, a young mother and her baby, a teenager in dark glasses sitting in the open doorway, drumming his fingers to the beat. It scoots past huge statues of revered resistance heroes who fought against occupying Indonesia for Timor's independence. By derelict buildings bombed and burnt as Indonesia retreated, some torched during another wave of destruction during the unrest of 2006. And in front of a shiny new shopping precinct with air-conditioned cafes and manicure parlours. Fifteen years down the road, a lot of things had happened. Uh, particularly in the socio-economic development of the country. The biggest achievement, I think, was uh, peace and stability, particularly during the last 10 years, and uh, also a, a growing democracy. Rui Maria Draujo is Timor-Leste's health minister and a former prime minister. After studying public health on a scholarship in New Zealand, he helped in Timor-Leste's initial reconstruction. I have to give uh, some credit to all development partners, including New Zealand, who I think has a share in the development of the country. The priorities, uh, this government is seeking to 
strengthen the achievements that we reached so far, but try to include more quality on the development in the social area and in economic area. New Zealand's ambassador to Timor-Leste, Vicky Poole, says New Zealand's support for Timor-Leste goes back to before independence. There were a lot of uh, ordinary New Zealanders who were up here and they maintain that interest and that passion for Timor-Leste. It's one of those countries that actually gets under your skin and you want to keep finding out what's happening and support it. New Zealand is spending more than $17 million a year helping the country. We're here to support them, but more at a partnership level than previously where we were sort of like the big brother now. We're, we're more equal. So our defence force relationship is about New Zealanders learning from Timor and Timor learning from New Zealand. In the economic space, we've got some New Zealand companies beginning to uh, be interested in, in working here, so we're supporting them to be able to set up, which is pretty exciting. A lot of what we do is in the development space. It's sharing New Zealand expertise and knowledge with a lot of it in the government, but some of it in private sector. New Zealand troops were among the UN peacekeeping forces which finally departed five years ago. New Zealand still has a couple of Defence Force representatives in Dili, helping to build capacity in the local force, and two police officers helping to establish a friendlier style of policing throughout the country. Aid also includes scholarships to universities, help with human rights advocacy and investment in coffee, fisheries and tourism. And New Zealand is among those helping to improve education in Timor-Leste, where 60% of the 1.2 million strong population is under the age of 25. At the Janana Guzmao Reading Room, a study centre in Dili, students have come to practice their English. It's seen as important in getting a scholarship and a ticket to employment. The number of students who graduated from the university, they find it hard to get a job because the industry in Timor-Leste still don't exist. And also, um, one of the problems is uh, the skills hard for them to get. Well, right now, it's very, uh, said the unemployment is everywhere here. <laughs> the students, when they graduated, they very hard to get this up here. I have a dream. I want to become a doctor because uh, our country health sector is very low and many children is malnutrition. In my village, more people not get good treatment because they're far from city. So it's very strong. It's strong motivation for me. I want to become a doctor. Education up to high school is free in Timor-Leste, but the students say they struggle because of poor teaching, few books and computers and poultry job prospects. Developing the human capital for the country in order to support the socio-economic development is the biggest challenge that we are facing. The minister, Rui Maria Daraujo, says it's been a struggle over the past 15 years to change the medium of instruction in schools from Indonesian to Portuguese and Tetun, the local language. We've tried as much as possible to focus on education. Some good results are coming up, but compounded to that, every year we have uh, 15,000 to 20,000 uh, young people coming out of the schools who find themselves in a difficult situation of not having jobs available. The other challenge is to create the conditions, particularly for the private sector, to be the engine of growth in the country. And that's where agriculture 
tourism, basic manufacturing, are going to be the big areas of job creation for the future. With the departure of the Indonesians, the Timorese education system was just not destroyed exactly, but pretty much. Richard Hellyer is working on the education project HANDS with support from New Zealand. Most of the teachers in the primary and secondary systems were Indonesian, so they left the country. Many of the schools were physically destroyed. Obviously the curriculum was in um, Bahasa Indonesian. The language of the oppressor was no longer an acceptable language. And so they've had to rewrite the curriculum into either Tetum or Portuguese. So they had to find teachers and then retrain them. They've had to create a salary structure for teachers, a management system. And with the birth rate of Timor-Leste, it's almost an overwhelming pressure on infrastructure as well. New Zealand's focusing on early childhood education, contributing $12 million over four years for things like teacher training, playgrounds and new learning materials for the under-sixes. There's been quite a rapid expansion. When I was here the first time, I think there was less than 40. Now there's about 340 preschools. No preschool is better than bad preschool. So we're trying to make sure that it's not only access that's the focus, but quality is the focus. Electricity and communications have improved markedly in the past 15 years, but Timor's leaders have struggled to reduce widespread poverty and malnutrition statistics remain at alarming levels. So the women's project we're going to visit, it's really exciting. They're starting to produce things which are sold in the supermarkets in Delhi, which is Victoria Gregory of Volunteer Service Abroad is expertly dodging potholes on the way to the district of Aileu. The road is rough, but it's being gradually improved with help from the World Bank. Nice to see you! We arrive in the village of Madibeno, and at a new brightly painted production centre, Rosa Bilo and other local women are preparing soybeans to turn into milk. Senora Bilo is typical of rural women in Timor, left to bring up a big family on her own after the turmoil around independence when many of the men were killed or simply disappeared. It's estimated between 100 and 200,000 people died during the Indonesian era, many from starvation. Still, more than half of the country's under-five-year-olds are stunted due to poor nutrition, the third highest rate in the world. Signora Bilou directs the operations at the cooperative, which is supported by the local charity Hafuti, with aid from New Zealand. The women grow the soybeans and sell the milk to the local school, with some left over for their own families. Senora Belu says in her community the soy milk is now helping reduce children's sickness and improving women's health too. I'm Jeffrey Gregorio. I'm a student and I study at New Zealand. And uh, actually I'm doing human resource management. Senora Belu's son says he's been inspired by his mother's success. With the coming of this setting up of this, this place, it helps the females group here, they, they develop themselves and also they can uh, increase their income income, livelihood, and also they learn more about, about the local product. Now they learn different ways of doing things, and it helps them to get their products to the market easily. And uh, with the income that they got from selling these products, it helps their family send their children to schools and doing other things, like building houses and 
they are excited because you know life is difficult in East Timor, and we gotta do something to to change our life. And we have to start with that these small things. When they establish in this group, it helps to disseminate information to other female group in other district. Back in Dili, the local independent research organization Lao Humutuk says the state has failed on the development front over the past 15 years. Many people in rural areas still no food to eat. Many people in rural areas still have no education for their own children. Juvenile Diaz, who's a researcher with the think tank, says post-independence Timor, a colony for hundreds of years, is still suppressed by poverty. We want a good government's plan to address what people need. Unfortunately, since 10 years and 15 years, people still crying for justice, crying for water, health and education. We have no enough teacher, library or the medicine. Juvenal Diaz was hopeful about the new government's five-year plan, but a stalemate in parliament over the last few weeks has thrown doubt on whether it will come to fruition. Uh, there was some good policy. For example, let government try to create community housing for people, you know, desalination, water for people, you know. They want to develop the health center for community and also trying to change the direction from the biggest expenditure to very carefully expenditure. But it's good. But unfortunately, it's only a dream. We hope that a new government, they can adopt a good policy from the current governments and maybe they can improve it by introducing a most of sustainable things in their own policy. Timor-Leste lives overwhelmingly off oil and gas from the Timor Sea through its petroleum fund, now worth about 16 billion US dollars, but predicted to run dry in the next decade. It's been dipping deeper into the fund to pay for massive infrastructure projects, and there's concern if this continues and other industries aren't built up in time, there won't be money to pay for rice and other necessary imports. It's allowed under the law, but the government minister, Rui Maria de Raujo, says that's proven quite dangerous in the past. We have to be more careful in planning capital investments during the next five years, be more selective, focus on quality and not go beyond the fiscal sustainability framework that we attach ourselves to. If we follow that policy, we may extend the life of the petroleum fund. Among the grand schemes underway are a special economic zone in Okusi in the west and the Tassi Main project on the south coast, which is being built in anticipation of piped gas from a new LNG field in the Timor Sea, estimated to be worth $50 billion. Details of the deal with Australia over the Greater Sunrise Field are still to be unveiled, and there are many questions over if and how it will be developed. Lao Humutuk's juvenile Diaz says it's a resource curse. Government need to create, like agriculture sector or something related to the non-oil economy that can replace the petroleum money in the future. We are not a rich country. We are only lucky because we have a good management in petroleum fund established by the, the first government in yeah, 15 years ago or 10 years ago. Uh, you know, oil money is easy money. And easy money means that everybody or every institution, even governments or, or politicians, they can see 
money as a business for them. Diversifying the economy and attracting private investors is now seen as crucial for Timor-Leste's future. The International Monetary Fund, in its latest assessment, said the need was pressing for the still fragile state. In the rolling hills to the southwest of Dili, workers at the CCT Coffee Cooperative are preparing seedlings to send out to its coffee and cocoa growers. So we're in a shade house where there are dozens and dozens of um, small seedlings flourishing under the shade and they'll be transported out all over to the, the country farm. to the farmers. So in this nursery we have uh, coffee seedlings and this is cocoa and also the shade tree called cashorina. Coffee is the country's biggest export apart from oil, bringing in much-needed cash for a third of the country's households. Starbucks is CCT's biggest customer, and the Fair Trade Cooperative supports 25,000 farmers throughout the country. This is a very good quality. No fertilizer, no chemicals. It's shade-grown. It's like slow cooking of food, you know. It's slow ripening of coffee. So enhance the flavor and aroma. Bensi Isaac is an advisor with the operation. If you take out the oil, the main export revenue of Timor-Leste is from coffee. So it matters a lot to the people of Timor because if they sell the coffee, they get the money. So we buy the organic coffee from the farmers and we do the processing and then export mainly to US and also to New Zealand, Australia and Canada. Coffee farms were neglected during the Indonesian era and old trees planted during Portuguese times have since become overgrown and less productive. New Zealand's putting $14.5 million into the cooperative, helping farmers prune the trees and replant new ones. The five-year rehabilitation plan is expected to boost growers' incomes and the industry. The difference between before pruning and after pruning, the production goes up almost two to three times. So currently, under with the New Zealand aid, we'll be doing almost 15,000 farms. Coffee and tourism are seen as key sectors for Timor-Leste as oil reserves dry up. But observers say the country also needs to better harness young people's potential. So this is benefit for our uh, working space and information decks. In this youth station, they will have access to internet. We have laptops. They can work on their business plan from here. Efforts are underway at this newly set-up one-stop shop in Dili, supported by the United Nations Development Programme. Here, young entrepreneurs get advice and mentoring on how to set up and run a business. Silvia Deraujo has established a firm selling feed to fish farmers after spotting a gap in the market when she worked as a technician with a New Zealand-sponsored fish hatchery. Now, like as a young people, we don't fight for independence. We're independence already, but now we fight for development. I encourage all the young people in Timor-Leste to work together to develop their cells, uh, invest their cells on the entrepreneur thing. Here we provide also the training. My experience that I have, I share it to everyone. Then I teach them how to become like me. I want to make it's like a, not only one Sylvia, but 10 or 20 Sylvia. My understanding is the police officers were being marched from there to, to up the road here and at this corner here is where the shooting happened. Timor-Leste's violent civil unrest in 2006 and 2007 revealed just how fragile a young country emerging from conflict can be. 
New Zealand peacekeepers were among an international contingent brought back to restore order. They left five years ago, and New Zealand's security focus now is on helping with community policing around the country. So it's in uh, Teton at the top, then in English, in memory of the members of the National Police of Timor-Leste. He died in May 2006, serving the nation. Brett Callender of the New Zealand Police and his team are helping to change the militaristic policing style of the past. The community themselves have had to change their mindset from, number one, police don't see the community as the enemy, but also the, the community don't see the police as the enemy. You know, these are two groups that are coming together to build partnerships, to work together. Um, but that wasn't the way it was. So Man Joao can tell you stories about being you know, told to get out of the vehicle and do push-ups and being <laughs> kicked and spat on and called a dog and just be honest, tell the truth. <laughs> okay. OK, my name is Joao Fernandez. Um, just call me Joan and then I also work with the New Zealand police. Policing style in the past is quite different. With the, if we compare now, that the, during Indonesian time, I have uh, you know, some experience that usually Indonesian police they conduct a checkpoint. They are not politely said, "Okay, where is your document? What is your name?" But at first they kick us first, and then sometimes they pull us from the vehicle, and then they call us "anjing." It means dog or "babi," pig. You know, it's. Uh, it's very unpolite and they are not respect community. So sometimes if you are not react quickly, they will ask you 10 push-up or 3, 4 push-up before they ask you a question. Some people will tell you that there's a high prevalence of post-traumatic stress disorder amongst Timorese people. And when you hear some of the things that these people have been through, it's, you'd say, well, how could it not be like that? To hear something that happened to Mateus's uncle or you know, uh, Rui hasn't told you a story about having to escape from Dili and, and lie to the police officers there. Um, but, you know, they've, they've all got a story around what happened. But I think, you know, the success of gaining independence was such a huge thing for them against a country that's so much bigger than, than theirs. You know, they've, they've moved on. They've, they've been able to say, yeah, the past was so dark. But the police have high rates of domestic violence to deal with, as well as land disputes arising from Timor-Leste's complex past. In recent months, there have been fears tension in Parliament would spill onto the streets, with heightened anxiety over a jostling for power among political leaders. The minority government, led by the Prime Minister Mari Al-Khatiri, has faced a challenge by an alliance of opposition parties, the largest led by the resistance hero and former President Shanana Guzmao. Fidelis Magalhaes, who's in the opposition bloc, says the politicians have been calling for calm and asking people to trust in democracy. Uh, it is um, unfortunate that there is always a rise in, in anxiety level. But uh, what the people of Timor-Leste have shown is what we have not seen before, which is a very high level of maturity and political understanding. And uh, people are becoming more and more accustomed and used to a liberal democracy. Mr Magalhaes is chief whip of the PLP, a relatively new party set up to fight for clean government and the interests of the younger generation. Fifteen years on from independence, it appears the leaders of the resistance still hold much sway. In Timor-Leste, the camaraderie between the resistance leaders um, is quite strong and it also, in a way, helps to hold them together despite their political differences. And it benefits the country. And, and, and secondly, they are also uh, abiding by democratic rules. That helps solidify uh, 
democracy in the country in the long run. Because we cannot simply just ignore uh, resistance leaders by saying that, that their presence is no longer useful for the country. In fact, for the building of a uh, stronger and a longer, more democratic society, you would need them for, for the present time. And, and I believe that they are a positive uh, influence. Timorese journalist Raimundos Oki says it's not easy to hold the country's leaders to account. He says he takes his inspiration from the Balabo Five, the Australian journalists and one New Zealander who were assassinated by Indonesian forces while covering the Indonesian invasion in 1975. At the time they were uh, sacrificing themselves for the liberation of this country, for the, the freedom of, of the East Timorese. But today, as a Timorese journalist... Um, we have to be brave enough to fight against the enemy of the people. I mean the corruption, the collusion, the nepotism, which is allegedly uh, happening in the public institution or in the government. It is not easy. It is not easy. I mean, we have to unite. Because many people say that uh, there are many corruption which is happening in the country, but they have no evidence to, to show to the public. We have to find out whether it is true or not. People before us, generation before us, all they did was to fight and fight. So now that we got our chance after all those times uh, of fighting, fighting, struggles, hunger, and also slavery, it is a chance for us to grow, to, to, to be who we really are as a, as, a, as, a, as a people. That was Mimi Pinto, an actor working with the group Bar Futura, which takes the anti-violence, peace-building message out into communities. Today, they're rehearsing a story about domestic violence. Violence it is something that has been uh, practicing here in Timor for many centuries. And uh, it, it is everywhere. It is in the, in the family. It, even I was raised and born in a, in, a, in, a, in, a, in a violent era. I've never seen my dad uh, uh, beat my mom before, but it is something common that I witnessed in, in the community that I lived in. Let's go in this way. <clears throat> Back at Dili's former prison, work is going on to ensure young Timorese don't forget the past, despite lack of progress in getting justice for war crimes. The Centro Nacional Chega was set up this year to ensure the 2005 recommendations by the Commission for Reception, Truth and Reconciliation are implemented. The education coordinator, Vicente Borges Maya, says the country has matured, democracy is instilled, but there's still much to be done. Our new generation, we still need to, to educate them, uh, to have a good civic education to our new generation, our students. Our, our children, so they can be better citizens for this country. The government can use the experience, the past experience, to teach our new generation to uh, avoid violence, to motivate our generation to develop this country. I'm Sally Round, and that's Insight for this week. You can share and podcast this and other insights from rnz.co.nz forward slash insight or head to iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts from.
That programme was produced by me, Philippa Tolley, with technical production by Mark Chesterman. If you'd like to get in touch, we'd love to hear from you. Our email is insight at radionz.co.nz or our Twitter handle is at insight rnz. And thanks for listening.